a series called Family. We're 10 weeks in today, and we held off specifically today because we wanted to be very practical. So today on the 4th, next week on the 11th, Robin and I are going to be sitting here together uh, giving questions that some have submitted, some that we're offering ourselves. So it'll be a little different than normal, but I know you're going to be blessed by it. I know you'll be touched by it. I hope you find some humor. I hope you find some transparency. And I hope you find wisdom. Because our goal is not just to talk about marriage, but it's to offer advice. Give you a little bit of update of she and I. We've been married 33 years. We've had good, we've had a little bad. We've had happy, we've had a little sad. But one thing we've learned over 33 years is how to fight for each other, how to fight for the kingdom of God, how to make us successful. I think both of us know and would love you to know that we, we're, we're not saying we're perfect. Uh, we're not saying that we, uh, our advice may be the advice that's perfect, but it's what God has put on our heart to help you. If you're not married, it's going to be some really good advice for you that will help. If you've been married, especially as a Christian, a lot of this I think will apply because we're assuming if you're here today, you are also hungry for God, not only to have a good marriage, but that you want God in that. And so a lot of that will filter around. Come back next week because we'll discuss some more but here's some scriptures that I hope help you here if we can get this it says this in Proverbs 13 where there is strife there's pride but wisdom is found in those who take advice so what we would like to ask of you today is all we're gonna do is offer advice but sometimes the advice you get can help you not be in strife. It can help you fight better. How many of you know when you got good wisdom, you can fight better? Because you're not fighting your feelings, you're fighting from wisdom, and we want to help you with that. And then this says here, plans are established by seeking advice, so if you wage war, obtain guidance. So what we want out of this is, I guess it would almost be like a marriage clinic. What we want out of this is for you to, to go away with some guidance and for you to go away strong in the Lord. So let's jump in if you want to. We're going to do three questions today and try to give them to you in a great way. I voted not to sit. She voted to sit. I said, I hate sitting. I'm going to look fat. My belly's going to come out. So everybody looking this way, I'm sorry. I'm just being obedient to my wife, but it's going to be good today. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're here. I'll turn it to Robin now. Yeah. My goal with us sitting is um, just so that we, you know, when you stand up and you're speaking, you just keep speaking. Sit up. Stop. So what's like going to be... That's what's going to happen. I just, no, my, I'm just going to end up going... <laughs> so now I'm like, okay, sit up straight. Shoulders this way, back. This so, way, I think we yield one to another. Yield. Better. I'm yielding. So because two preachers with the microphone, both of them, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to make sure we just don't overstep honest, you, one you another. You started with, you talk too much and I'll never be able to say anything. So, <laughs> so I have to sit him down. I have to rein him in. All right, question number one. Let's go. We Here don't we have go. time. I know. Our yin and yang will definitely take yeah. over if oh. we're not careful. Here it is. Go for it. All right. How do you make decisions when you can't agree on the right choice? So this, I think, is one of the number ones that comes. It, it, it comes to my couch office downstairs time and time and time again, right? The conflict resolution kind of question. So go for it. Okay. You're always right. That. Next question. <laughs> 
That is good advice. It's great advice. <laughs> it is great advice. She's always right. Not Otherwise, always. I'm on the couch and I'm paying up. Yeah. So uh, how do you make decisions when you can't agree on a right choice? I'll start here. The two greatest decisions in life that affected us humans most were both made by a woman. First Eve, she made the choice and destroyed humanity. The second woman that chose was Mary, and the choice she made saved humanity. And so God shows us that if you want to know the power of a woman, they have the power in decision-making to destroy, and they have the power in decision-making to bring life. And so let's not think that decision-making is something that's simple, because what happens in a marriage is that we come, and we typically can come from the Eve-Adam perspective, which is... Well, you just do whatever makes you happy. I don't care. I just want you happy. If you want to eat the fruit, eat the fruit. Uh, because my goal is your happiness. Well, that's great unless her happiness is not in line with the will of God. And then a happy wife is a happy life unless the choice she wants is not godly. And then it's a miserable life. On the other side of the coin is Mary. Mary makes a choice and a decision and her decision is so antithetical that her spouse says, forget you, I'm divorcing you. So we have Adam who basically goes, whatever you want, I'll go. And now we have Joseph going, I'm done. But God steps into the heart of Joseph and says, no, you're not going to divorce her. You're going to stay with her. And that woman's decision changed the world. You're here today because of it. You're here today because one woman decided I'm going to live me regardless of what it has and regardless of what God wants with a man that just wanted a happy wife regardless of what God wanted. On the other side, you have a woman who heard the Lord and wanted to make a decision with the man going, I don't like your decision, but we're both going to seek the will of God. So I would start here. When making decisions and you can't agree on the right choice, as a, as a husband and wife, that's going to be normal. Men are always going to have a different take, maybe like Joseph, I don't get what you're saying, but okay. Some men may be like, you just do you, babe, I just want you happy. But at the end, the goal needs to be for both of us is we want what God wants. And for me, that may mean I need to humble myself. And for her, it may mean she needs to humble herself. But we cannot go into it with this. This is my thinking. Well, I'm the man, and the Bible says you should submit. So, woman, submit to me. And that's an easy thing because a lot of Christian men do that because a lot of Christian women say, I can't ever really have an opinion as a woman because my husband always throws, you need to submit to me. Because when we can't agree, it's natural and Christian, we'll let the man make the choice. But if you would have let Joseph make the choice, you probably wouldn't have had Jesus. So we need to understand that it's not always who gets the, the end of the call. Should the man make it or should the woman make it? I think we both should be going, let's let God make it. And if that means I humble myself and go your way, or you humble yourself and go my way, at the end, we need to humble ourselves and, and seek the will of God. And I believe sometimes what happens there is, I think we've got a story that we'll tell because we're here off of this. In the story of us getting here, I went to her and said, hey, 
I feel like we need to move to Atlanta. I feel like the Lord's putting in my heart to move here and pastor this church. And she said, no. Actually, her words were, there's no way in God's name I'm moving to Atlanta. I'm not going there. And so I'll leave it with how she deals with this because I came to, I feel God is leading me here to pastor us. And she's like, I'm not about to go there. So we had this in reality playing out in our life and me going to God going, well, I'm not dragging a mad woman around. So you need to figure out what we need to do because I think we should go. She said no, and I'm not dragging a mad woman to Atlanta. Atlanta's hellacious enough. So I threw it to God and I waited. So I'll turn it to you. Yeah, um, I'm going to preface it with, with just a little bit before I get right back to that story. I, one of the things that I hear women say over and over and over in marriages um, is that they want to be good wives, right? Every, every wife who loves the Lord wants to be good. And we go back to the scripture that says we are supposed to be a help to our husbands. And then we land on the scripture that he is the head and that we're supposed to be submitted to him, right? Amen. I mean, that's like every Christian woman, Amen. like you grow up thinking, you know, like this, this man is my head and I'm going to be a good wife and I'm going to help him. So my question is, how do we do that? how are we a help with him? And, and then we silence our own voice because we think that we, that's what we have to do to be good, right? That's what we have to do to, to be submitted to him. We silence ourselves um, in an effort to do that. So I just want to present to you today that that's not quite um, accurate scripturally. Some of it is, some of it is not. The Bible doesn't end with that we are just supposed to submit to him. If you keep reading the passage where Paul talked about that, he talked about a submission one to another. So I, I know everyone is not in that that kind of a marriage where a husband understands the word and where he honors the word, but Mark has honored that in me. So it hasn't been a thing where I've lived like this. I have been able, he has not had a thumb on me my voices or my opinions or my thoughts and my ideas. So I've been able to express myself, um, you know, and maybe that's threatening to some men. Men have to be secure enough to understand that a wife's role is to be a helper, meaning that she's going to be vocal, meaning she's going to have ideas, she's going to have input, she's going to hear from him. We're not just these dumb, mute people who get married and a husband just drags us along throughout life like we have no brain. God gave you a brain. God, before I ever met Mark, I had a brain, I had an education, I had a calling on my life, I was serving in ministry, I had ideas and visions. And those of you who serve the Lord, whether you're male or female, you have that also. So it's a, there's a fine walk that we have as women, not to usurp authority and not to lord over him, right? But to, to be who God created me to be with, with a help, meaning that I have help to my children. I have help to him. Like I'm, I'm not the silent partner. I think one thing to this, we're 33 years in and we've never had a conversation never, on submission. Never. We've not had to sit down and, and Yeah, I've do never that. said woman submit or you need to because I came into it if God said, this is my thinking, if God tells a man you have everything you need but a woman and the reason I'm sending you a woman is you need someone that can come alongside you and enhance you, help you. So that means that God made man perfect, but he still needed an enhancement. And the enhancement wasn't that God would give the spirit, he would give a woman. 
So when the woman is implanted into a man through marriage and we become a husband and a wife, men, you're stupid. If you think that that woman doesn't have wisdom to make you better. Because men are very practical and tactical and women are emotional and relational, but she brings a different voice to the table. The reason most can't make decisions is I don't respect her voice. She nags, gripes, she becomes the B word, and now we can't even talk about anything, so it's my way or the highway, then she feels like I don't hear her. The moment she feels unheard, she feels she has less value. The moment she feels like she has less value, she shuts down and says, what's the use? And then when she says, what's the use? I just go running forward in the name of God with a, dragging a wife behind me who becomes a little submitted woman who never gets an opportunity to say, I disagree agree with you, Mark. I, I appreciate you say you're a man of God. I appreciate you say you love Jesus, but I disagree. And we did vehemently disagree about coming here. I, I came home one day and said, I feel the Lord has put in my heart. We're to move to Douglasville. And her exact words were, there is no way in God's green earth. I'm going to Douglasville. So I went, I didn't, I didn't chew her out. I didn't stop and say, woman, I can't believe that you're hindering my calling. You're messing my life up. I went to God and said, God, I married this woman and she's a help to me. And this was my exact prayer. I didn't tell her this, but my exact prayer was, I am not going anywhere with a wife who doesn't want to go. Because I married her and I'm not going to drag her through life mad at you and with me going, God said. So I went to her and told her, I said, I believe we're supposed to move to Atlanta, but I'm not going anywhere without you. Until you want to go, I'm sitting right here and I'm not mad at you. I'm not upset with you. It's between you and God. I love you and I'm not spending my life with you being some bitter woman sitting in Atlanta ticked off that you're here. And I threw it over to her plate and I'll let you tell how she worked that out. Yeah, you know, with all of that being said, at the end of the day, I, I do not want the responsibility of leading my family, right? I want the responsibility to hear God for my life, but, but I am glad that some of those scriptures also talk about <laughs> Mark being the head, right? So like I, there, there's this fine line. So when he, when he yields decisions back to me and when I yield decisions to him, I think it puts us both in that place where he went to God and said, hey, I feel like this is what you're saying to me, but I'm not about to drag her around and I'm not about to miss it. What, what that does is it releases a wife to do the same thing, to not become a nag and to not become a, a hindrance to him, but to go to God also and say, okay, you know, God, what are you saying? Like, are you really saying this? And that's really been how we have approached. There have been very few decisions that have been that cross or that, you know, just that why in the road where we both are unyielded. We are yielded together to God, even though we're different, have different personalities and different, um, you know, ways of, of hearing him, different ways of walking out what we're hearing for him. But at the end of the day, we both are two people who are pressed into him to hear him him for our life, for each other, and for our family. And so it left me with an open heart, right? When he came back and said, 
I'm not going with you mad and irritated. I, I don't want to go with you, um, you know, not, not wanting to do this. And if you think we're supposed to be here, I'll stay here for the rest of my life. It, it just put me in a position where then I was open to hear God. And my, my mind was not closed off. And, you know, all of the emotional things that come with, with moving for women is so different than men, which is really where I was um, was at, just moving with four children. And um, the idea was not pleasant to me. But when I spent some time with the Lord, I knew that I knew that I knew that this was our next step. And so we took it together in peace, without turmoil, without strife, without me feeling like I, I was drugged somewhere. And the funny thing is all of the emotional things that I... I was holding on to as a woman, um, regardless of whether you're you're married or not. When you have when you have desires that you want from God, the way that you see those desires come to fruition is is not to hold on to them and run after the desire. The way you see God operate and give you gifts in life and fulfill those needs is to hold on and run after Him. Right, And sometimes we're chasing the thing that we're holding on to instead of chasing God. And so we have to release and let go of the things that we're holding on to that would hinder us. And when we do that, and when we run hard after him, everything else just kind of falls into place for us. And so as soon as I did that, as soon as I ran after God, we were in alignment and we ended up moving here. And everything that I feared um, was a lie anyway. And, and God came through and did what he needed to do. So that's kind of how we handled that. So take, I'm not going. I feel to go. God handled this. The conversation we had on the other side was she called me into the living room. The kids were out and she said, I need to ask you a question. And I said, okay. She said, did you or did you not really hear God to move? And I said, well, I genuinely be believe I did, but I don't want to go if you don't have peace to go. And her words were, I don't want to go. But if you tell me you've heard God, I trust you. And I'm going because I trust you, because I've been married to you. And if you say you've heard God, I trust you. So talk a little bit about maybe one of the reasons we don't do decisions well is we don't trust each other. Because the wife doesn't trust that the husband cares about her. The wife thinks that he only cares about himself and his job and what he wants and doesn't really care about the kids and is just running through life with a wake behind him. So when you come to, we have to make decisions we can't agree on, you better believe sitting in the middle is going to be trust. Because I have to trust her that she doesn't want to go. Not get mad at her. She has to trust me that I do want to go. And we come together with, we trust each other. So to make decisions, you got to start very basic. Do you even trust each other? Do you trust if your husband, ladies, is not as spiritual as you, but do you still trust that he wants to make the best decision he can or vice versa? Because a lot of times the reason it's so hard to choose is we have a bad track record because the man made a choice without it. Now we're in debt. We, we got rash and hasty and now we're paying a high price for it. So, or he always makes these rash decisions and never even asked me, could he buy a motorcycle, 15 guns, a house, a boat, and a, he never even asked me. He just goes and does it and then I have to sit here and now he wants me to trust him. So in making decisions, it's not as easy as just A and B. It's everything that came before the moment of A and B. And for me, the A and B, I think there is 
There's definitely a past in marriage, right, that we can bring up every, every new argument tomorrow. We can bring up the past um, of, of yesterday. For me, even though that was on the heels of, it was two years post um, our huge marriage crisis that all of you know about. So two years, two years after that, um, so trust, when, when you talk about trust, there would have been, I would have had a million reasons not to trust him, right? I mean, the dagger was a big dagger, so it, it kind of made up for 20 years of trust. However, the, both of us, when we got married, which is one of the things that I think is most important when dating, I always go back to the fact that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know, and I think he does too, that that although he was my choice, like although he swept me off of my feet and brought me lots of gifts and doted on me and paid my bills and um, didn't throw me away when I couldn't remember ATM numbers and um, just overspent, I think one of our first interactions together even as a couple was him helping me deal with the fact that I was getting overcharges for um, bounce checks that I did not realize that the bank was taking out because I was an only child whose daddy had taken care of me and then I was off at college in Tulsa and bouncing checks and didn't know why because my bank account looked good to me but I didn't understand there was a $35 fee every time so I was just way way in the hole and so he's, he helped me right he rescued me swept me off my feet all these things at the end of the day that really wasn't why I married him. So it wasn't his abs, which he did have, which were great and gorgeous. All the, it wasn't just all those things that were there. It was an I knew that I knew that I knew that that's who God picked for me. So I, I think that that is one of the foundational, you know, and again, I know everybody doesn't have that who, who is married. I understand that sometimes we talk about things, and I think some of this is everybody hasn't had some of the opportunities that we've had at a young age to make good choices. And so I get that, and I understand that. But we knew it was a knowing. And so I think that there is always that it's not just a trust with each other so that when he falls apart or when something isn't well or, or we've got these moments that are not good, the trust has been in the fact that when I was 20, I was running hard after God, right? And so I, I was being very careful with my choices. And so I choose somebody who, who was running hard after God as well. And that brings you security to know that you're both in that boat together. So, so. let me give you some advice on decision making if, you, if you're facing them. There's monumental decisions which are life changing. You move, the kids move, it's new schools, it's new friends, it's... And then there's small decisions. Uh, what kind of car do we want to buy? Do we want to buy a boat? Do we want to get a, uh, an Airbnb for an investment? Do we want to do things, uh, go to Disney World? Do we, whatever we want to do. And, and then we can argue about that. At the end of the day, this is not very spiritual. God gives you a brain. Some things, just use your brain. If you want a blue car, get a blue one. Because God probably doesn't care if it's red. If she would rather have the red one, fellas, suck it up and love her and get the red one and pretend it's blue in your mind. <laughs> because at the end of the day, a lot of why we don't do well, even in small decisions versus big decisions, life altering versus maybe not so life altering, these two things. Well, I'll give you the three. We've already talked about one, trust each other. And number two, just use your noggin. 
Well, I can't decide to get a Kia or a Toyota. I can't. How do we do this? I, I, I like this. I like the ranch style house. No, I like the two story house. Well, I like the greenhouse. Well, I don't like the greenhouse. I didn't feel good about it. How could you not feel good about a house? This is an incredible deal. Well, I don't want a deal. I like the vibe and it didn't have a good vibe. Oh my God, woman, it's not about a vibe. We can create a vibe. And now here we go. Right. And the end result is trust. Number two, just use your brain. Just Maybe it's not time to buy a car because you're financially in a hole. Maybe it is blue, green, just get what you want. But fellas, some good advice for you. At the end of the day, she's your bride and she should hold priority over everything in life except God. And if you don't like that, don't get married. Because she holds priority over everything except God. That means I need to humble my opinions and my flesh because I genuinely want to serve her because we were going to buy a greenhouse. I felt great about it. Let's do it. God was answering prayers. This is it. Holy Ghost got a word. Ah, I can't wait to move. And she said, I just don't have a good feeling. And then I can go all man feeling. You don't get a feeling. It's a deal, woman, a deal. My God, a feeling. And then we don't have sex for 14 years because of that. (laughs) So the end result of us is at the end of the day, even if it makes me a little irritated, even if it's not a mind altering, thus saith the Lord, it's just a decision. Mark, I want this bathtub. And I'm like, okay. So you want the bathtub that only fits tiny people. It's like being in a womb. It's like going back up in my mother's womb. I literally sit in it like this. It's, we went from a garden tub to a uterus. It's like, oh my Lord. I got in it and couldn't even get out. I had to get help. But at the end of the day, we were remodeling our bathroom this year. And that was a true story. We have a uterus for a tub. And... It is a little smaller yeah, than I thought. Thank you. It is small. My mother-in-law so, got stuck but, in it. So, you know, it's like, oh my God, mom's stuck in the tub. She can't get out. See? Her knees and hips, though. I mean, that was the reason for that. So, so. but at the end of the day, this is what I told her. Honey, in life, bathrooms, bathtubs, what I want is for you to live on planet Earth and be a happy woman. And I'll do anything I can do to make you happy because that's the way I want to love you. And so you do the bathroom like you want to enjoy it. All I need is a place to pee and all I need is toilet paper. I'm good. I can shower outside. I can, I, I can not shower. I'm good with it. I don't mind. Just my underwear, toilet paper, toilet, I'm good. And a plunger just in case, you know. <laughs> so I leave that trust is, is key. Number two, key is just use your brain and get what you want. Talk it out. Google it. And number three, fellas, love her. If you love us like Christ loves the church, which is what the scripture also goes on to say in that whole submission passage, you really have no problem with us following you. So we'll follow you anywhere if we feel like you love us like, like Christ did. So. And I'll say amen to that. In 33 years of marriage, I've never had a woman sit on the couch and go, he just loves me too much. He just spends too much time with me, too much money on me, and cares about me too much. So, fellas, it is true. If you will adore her, cherish her, bathe her with your words, give her your time, 
Let your money be lavished on her. Serve her the best you can. Even if that means I'm working hard or spend time with her, listen to her, sometimes tolerate her. (laughs) At the end of the day, I promise you that bride will follow that man to the moon and back when she's loved like that. I'm not talking about all the nuances that come with that. So you feel pretty good about that one? All right, here comes the next one. Oh, Lord. If a spouse's behavior is causing chaos in the family, how do you know whether to stay or leave? How do you know whether to keep praying for the jerk or to divorce him? I, I, I told her, let's don't talk about this. And, and then we both agreed that with divorce rates at 54 to 55%, probably half the people in this room have had an argument before of, are we going to make it or not? And should we stay together or not? So I'll let you address this one. Should we stay in the relationship? Fight for it. We've had some spouses come and go, I've been praying for 15 years. He never changes. What should I do? There's the mantra, just keep believing. And then there's honey, get out. It's not going anywhere. You're... So let me put a disclaimer before I turn it to her. We both believe that no marriage is worth staying in if you're being abused. And that's emotionally, physically, sexually. If you're in an abusive situation, you need a game plan. So what we talk about, stay or leave, we're, we're putting a disclaimer. We're not talking about being abused. We're talking about basic marriage issues that escalate to the point that we're, we're having divorce court discussions. Okay. I'm going to start with um, my worst moment as a counselor that my children heard on the telephone. So they heard me talking on the phone um, to a lady who, who was calling me constantly. Um, and yeah, their marriage was, was really, really rocky. They ended up not making it. But that particular day had been about the 10th phone call that I had from her. And during this phone call, she was explaining to me that she came home and his socks were still on the floor. And I just was, I was at my wits end with her and I said, honey, I'm going to tell you like this. Please do not call me again unless there is blood literally pouring out of your forehead because you are so tormented by what he's doing. Like the socks on the floor are not the crucifixion, right? It's not Jesus in the garden dying to himself so much that he's sweating drops of blood. And so that's the big joke now. The girls were like, don't call mom unless like you've really got to be desperate if she's going to help you. And I heard her say that. I heard her say, honey, unless you're on the floor bleeding, don't call me again. I don't. And I'm like, oh my God. No, no, don't say that. My pastoral shepherding heart was like, love her, care for her. And I was like, oh, I married her. And then I'm scared. Now I'm scared of her. I start going to get my underwear off the floor, my socks off the floor. I'm sweeping dog hair up. (laughs) So my point being, we make some really minor things major in our lives and in our marriages. And some people divorce everything. It's like, I'm like, are you kidding? Are you calling me right now? Because he did not pick up his socks. Literally, you're, you're like, you took effort to pick up the phone and have your 11th conversation with me in the day because your husband didn't pick up socks. It's a minor. That is a minor. There are a lot of minor things that people get divorced over. And, you know, before we get to the major things, I, it, 
it's, you know, statistically speaking, it's not just infidelity and abuse that cause people to get divorced. It, it is an accumulation of socks and all the, the minor things in marriage. You are going to have minor things. And if you don't understand how to work through them and to, to let each other be a little bit, instead of controlling every aspect of your spouse's life and who they are. Um, you know, and two examples that I have. One is that Mark did buy a lot of motorcycles, um, a lot, and we're still married, and by a lot, I mean like 11. He bought 11 motorcycles. He probably has 250 Bibles or 450, 750. I don't know how many Bibles there are. He went through a Bible phase. So he has a thing where he, 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 he just, he gets fixated on something and he buys it. You know what? 11 motorcycles are not worth a divorce to me. They're just not worth a divorce to me. So, so he he would buy them and trade them and make money off of them. And, and, and I would have a conversation that, you know, you've had five motorcycles. Am I going to get a new couch? Am I going to get, like, what is going to happen, right? Still for, I mean, it... Those kinds of things happen in marriage, and you have to work through them. You have to work through how are we going to spend money? Who's going to be in charge of money? How, how is all of this going to work out at the end of the day? You don't throw a, mar a covenant relationship away because of these kinds of issues. And if you don't give each other space to be wrong and to be incorrect and to need work and to need the grace of God in your life, then you will make some foolish decisions and throw things away that are very valuable. He is more valuable to me than all the money that he spent on motorcycles. And it doesn't mean that that was a right or correct thing. What it means is it was not the core of a decision that I was going to make based on the fact that my husband had a problem buying motorcycles. Right? Two days ago, I had a problem. I woke up, and I hope he's deleted the text. I don't I know if he has. I have saved it. I've got it. I'll read it. I'll read it. <laughs> so I read it to my children, and they all just were like, you are so mean. So we've got, we've got dogs, right? Three huge dogs that just kind of have overtaken our life. Two of them have overtaken the house. There's hair everywhere. I try to keep it clean, and it's just there. So Mark adores them. Like, husbands tell you not to get pets, then you get pets, and then they treat the pets like they're their firstborn, right? They love them and groove them and feed them and hold them and all these things. So Samson already has my, my leather recliner. He owns it. It's the German Shepherd. He owns the recliner. So if you come to my house, you have nowhere to sit, but the dog has a recliner. So Mark has, has doted on him and given him that, and then every blanket in the house, I feel like, is Samson. So I'll go to cover up with the blanket, but Mark has cuddled him with the blanket because he literally tucks him in. He tucks Samson into the little chair at fellas, night. Fellas, it is a German shepherd. It's, so. it's not a chihuahua, so it's manly. He We're chatting about life. <laughs> smoking cigars together. It's a German shepherd. <laughs> he tucks him in. He loves Samson. So so I went through a couple of years of just the, the blankets and the hair, and I was like, we got to come to an agreement. Like, we, we just have to come to something. The only blanket that can be Samson's is the blanket that actually has Samson's face on it, which was a gift to Victoria Kate. So that blanket can be Samson's. Otherwise, leave the blankets alone. Well, I get up, and I walk into the living room, and I see this nice gray blanket sitting on Samson's chair, and I mean just like the blood from my toes all the way to my head. Like I mean, it's just like tunnel vision Satan. was on that blanket. Yeah, so I grabbed my phone immediately, and I'm like... Right, I'm going to read it. No! Yeah. 
I'm off serving Jesus. <laughs> Pastorally taking care of people. And my phone, bzz, bzz, and I'm like, oh, it's from my bride. She's probably going to tell me how awesome I am. <laughs> she starts the text using my name, which is never good, fellas. If your wife starts out the text with your name, you're in trouble. So I open it up, and it was Mark, and I'm like, oh, she's used my name. She's used my name. Here it comes. Mark, this is disrespectful. This is respect that I would say, please, no blankets for Samson. We then agree for the dog blanket only, and now a big gray clean blanket is filthy. I don't get it. Just genuinely do not get it. Again, you are not the one who has to spend each morning shaking blankets out and washing them. He's a dog. Get him a bed if you are that concerned about yeah, he's, him. He's, he's adding I'm some adding, I'm adding the inflections way, to that text. I'm adding the way I'm reading, the way it makes me, ladies, the way it makes me feel. I'm in my feelings. I, I definitely don't feel this came from a genuine spirit of love. It's just discernment. He's your dog. He's a dog. Get him a bed if you're so concerned about him. And please stop using my blankets. So I answer back. I didn't give him a blanket. For your analytical mind, one. There was a gray blanket on the floor by the fireplace. Two. Rooster and Samson had been using it for a bed. Three. Rooster had been playing on it. Four, Samson had been sleeping on it. Five, you put the blanket on the floor I for was their the bed. One who put the blanket there. Six, <laughs> I took it off the floor and folded it for Samson to use while he was sleeping on the chair. Seven, if you're talking about another blanket, I don't even have a clue. Eight, I love being humorous. Eight, if you're talking about another blanket, how about doing some research before you send a mark? You're such a disrespectful human. Thanks, and I love you. That, that was a real conversation. Wait, wait, wait. No, it's got to end. <laughs> we have 15 minutes per question, sir. But this is a good one. She does answer back. Well, <laughs> yep. My bad. <laughs> I didn't see that it was the bed blanket that I just made for him. New blanket. Sorry. And then I guess I didn't even respond. I just wanted her to feel it. And so I just, and so then at 10:36 she said again, "I'm sorry." So, so that's how easy it works, fellas. <laughs> so we shared both of those stories about the motorcycle and and my bad day, right? My tunnel vision vision with the gray blanket to say. People need work. We're humans. We're not always perfect. We're just not perfect. And in a marriage, your spouse is not going to be perfect. Do you know that that could have turned into, I mean, the motorcycle issue certainly could have turned into a huge thing. I mean, finances were involved. There, there was a lot that was involved. The me being a little bit mean um, on the text two or three days ago. I mean, we could still be not speaking because of that. There, there are couples who, who literally fall apart over stuff like that. You've got to allow minor 
minor inconsistencies in each other's personalities and give each other space to grow in God and to grow in who they are and to own, own themselves and to own their mistakes and to become who God created them to be without expecting your spouse to be perfect every single day. It's just a lot of pressure if you feel like, like you yeah, can we, we went on a date that night and we're sitting at the date and she said, aren't you glad that we didn't let my bad moment and bad day ruin a marriage? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, we've been, we've been around long enough that we give each other the grace that she may have a bad day, I may have a bad day. Here's my thinking on should you stay or should you go. I have never had anybody sit on a couch in my office that divorced because of a major thing. Most of them end up sitting with me because a lot of minor things became the major thing. Why? Because they didn't trust each other, they couldn't talk, they just started going, it is what it is, and, and the socks on the floor became disrespectful because she's asked a hundred times. The reason the text was so probably poignant that I just read you is because she's very much, let's only use these blankets for the dogs. So what she felt was disrespected. And so she sent a text and then she realized, oh wow, and then she apologized. If, if you don't have a relationship where you can be honest when you feel disrespected or honest when you don't feel heard or honest that you feel like your husband doesn't care about you, then little things like socks on the floor. Had a woman sit on my couch one time who was borderline divorced and what's going on? And this was her comment. She said, I like the light switches up to be on. He likes them down. And she said, I can't stand it. It's driving me crazy. And I said, you're literally thinking about throwing. She said, it's not just the light switch. It's the dishes in the cabinet. They, they, they're supposed to be straight and they're supposed to be stacked four at a time. And he just puts them in there clean. And I'm thinking, oh, he cleans them. Wow. It's a great, <laughs> this is a great man. But little things to her, the cabinets had to be right. The pantry, the soups had to be stacked perfectly. The, the towels had to be folded perfectly. So she wasn't coming for a divorce because of the big thing. Most of the crises, when we get down to it, are a culmination of a lot of things that start with the root. And the root is usually, I feel unheard, I feel disrespected, and I don't trust each other. And we find ourselves having to stay, have a question that says, should I stay or should I go? I'll tell you this, we're gonna talk about it next week. One of the biggest things couples cannot do is talk through a problem. Because we get very defensive, we get our feelings hurt, we know how to punch each other's buttons, we know how to irritate each other. And if you don't get to a place to where you can sit down across the table, and I know she disagrees. I know she has hard feelings about something. I know that she has. I have to offer her the opportunity to download all of that without me going, see, every time I say it, there you go again. You just don't even, and then we can't even talk about anything. So our suggestion would be before you ever get to the pink word leave, are you willing to go talk things out? Are you willing to make a counseling appointment? Are you willing to go, hey, before we fall apart, let's go talk to them and see if they can help nuance us to have discussions together. The value of your relationship has to be more than those things. And sometimes we, we just don't take the blinders off long enough to, to look. You are in a covenant relationship with someone. 
That means you came to an altar and you made a covenant promise before God and one another that you were each other's forever. And, and I don't know how to convey this any way other than to just express it with, with vocabulary that's probably inadequate. There is something about being on this side and this side of life, what I mean is the, the older side, the longer years, the 33 years into marriage that is so different than year one, two, three, five, ten. 10. Um, and you don't get there to the feelings and the emotions and the memories and the nostalgia and the um, just the deep, deep, deep-seated love that you have for one another when you're, when you're thrown away because minor things are becoming huge obstacles for you. So deal with the minors. Don't let them, don't let them grow because this side of it is, there, there's just nothing sweeter than, than being here on, on this edge where when we look at each other on a date night, it is just the sweetest thing in the world. I don't know. People and don't get We'll get close with this it. thought here. Uh, just so you understand what we mean by respecting each other, loving each other, giving each other space to grow. Uh, our personalities are diversely different. We'll talk about that next week. But the reality is in 33 years of marriage, we've never done Bible studies together. We've never had a prayer time together. We've never said, let's go into the prayer closet and pray together. And, and we're successful not because we do devotions in the morning together and not because we have this awesome prayer life together. She, she has her in God, I have me in God, and we have we in God. And we know when we come together, typically for our children, where we'll join together and go, let's pray together. Let's believe. But the reason it can work, and a lot of couples will say, well, we pray together, we read the Bible, but we still argue, we still fight, we, we don't get along. And I'm quoting scripture, and I go back to probably because even though you're reading the Bible, praying together, you've lost respect for each other. And you're not hearing each other. And you're not listening to each other. Because that holds a lot of power. So our goal today would be this, be a man that seeks the Lord, be a woman that seeks the Lord. As you both seek him together, his wisdom meets you in the middle. Fellas, die to yourself and love your bride like you've never loved anybody else. If you love the deer heads and the gun and the fishing boats and the cars and the jobs and the hobbies, she will know it if you love them more than her. But if you love her more than everything else, she'll follow you to the ends of the earth. But she'll only follow you if she can trust you. And she only trusts you when she knows that you have her best interest in mind. And her best interest in mind is she wants the best for all of us just like I do. And when we move to those things, the socks on the floor, the dog blankets, the light switches, we can sit here and talk about it. We can talk out the motorcycle issues. We can talk out the disagreements because at the end of the day, we can have a decent conversation without screaming, hollering, cussing, arguing. I don't, I don't feel like I, I win if I leave and lose if, if she wins and all the idiocracies that get involved into, into that. And so we'll come back next week and continue to hopefully download some things that'll help you. I will say my sweet bride has a Google calendar that you can log on if you need counseling. Uh, I would love to help you if I can. I'm not a pro at it, but I love to get you there because if you're at this place of leaving, here's the one thing I can tell you you're at. If you're at a place of divorce or thinking about it, you're probably already at a state of hopelessness and you feel hopeless for some reason. 
And I never feel like hopelessness should be the reason we can find hope again. And that's what we want to help you with. Would you stand up with Robin and I, if you will?